Welcome to the Bomb and Gouge podcast. I'm your host, Gary Bissell. This week's guest is Tom Lang, publisher and editor for Michigan Golf Journal. And we're going to dive into some pretty serious topics, including the 2018 cheating scandal in Michigan high school golf at the regional tournament. But first, a word from our sponsor. All right, we'd like to welcome all the listeners in and welcome our guest this week, editor and publisher of Michigan Golf Journal, Tom Lang. Tom, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Gary. Yeah, absolutely. So, Tom, I want to start, you know, you, you've started um, this new publish, uh, Michigan Golf Journal, and your first one, is it out yet or it's come, there's a January is the first issue of 2019, is that correct? Actually, I just completed my first year. Wow, I'm sorry I had that totally wrong. I thought that last time we talked to it first. Okay, so we're running over. So we just completed our first year. And uh, how, how's the, uh, how'd it go in your first year? Things have been great. Uh, the feedback from everybody has been very, very positive. Um, the reason I started it is what people are commenting on, that there's just almost no coverage of the sport of golf in the media anymore. And so they're thankful to have this uh, new magazine out there that's covering everything from general news announcements in Michigan to feature stories to course reviews, uh, youth involvement, college uh, players and what they're doing. Uh, I'm trying to run the gamut of, uh, of subjects and actually some of my strongest feedback from people is that every issue seems to have a cross-section of topics uh, for everybody. That's fantastic. So, Tom, give me a little bit more and for the listeners about your background and um, where you started in your career and how it evolved into you uh, starting the Michigan Golf Journal. Well, I've been a freelance sports writer for almost 30 years. I spent my first three or four years at the Lansing State Journal when I was at Michigan State. The last 26 years, I've been freelancing for Detroit Free Press. And uh, obviously, more and more... Um, Media is shrinking, but the sport of golf, I could see as recently as a year ago, was like basically getting no coverage anymore. In fact, you know, when I was doing work at the Free Press, they wanted about one story a week just for golf. And we had about about a four-year run doing that, and then they just said, no, we can't do it anymore. So that was the impetus, really, of just seeing what was going on in the media everywhere around me that I wanted to... uh, you know, get this going and uh, and start it up. But I've got a long career in uh, public relations as well for golf. Um, I served the European Ryder Cup team when the uh, matches were played at Oakland Hills uh, for about eight years in the 1990s. I was the media manager for the Ford Senior Players Championship in Dearborn. And nowadays I even uh, counsel uh, Meyer on their LPGA event in Grand Rapids. That's great. Pretty impressive resume, to say the least. Um, so, Tom, our, our main focus today, we are going to talk about um, the MHSA and what happened. And this is kind of a hot topic right now. It has been for uh, a lot of what 2018 was, what happened back in the spring of um, accusations of cheating in high school golf. And um, we will get into that. Um, but first, I want to pick your brain a little bit just because you've been around the game so long and um, – covered it so much and my first question would be what do you think just as far as golf courses go um what state in your opinion and your travels and and all these coverages has the best collection of golf courses 
Wow, uh, that's a biggie um, because I haven't been to every state for starters. Um, but honestly, I've been kind of high on Alabama recently. And I say that in part because they have a longer season, but their geography is a lot like Michigan. If you're in the northern half of Alabama, it's really not much different at all than northern Michigan because uh, they're kind of at the bottom tail end of the Appalachian Mountain Range. So there's plenty of hills and rolling terrain. They've got the Robert Trent Jones Trail that uh, is just dotted courses all over the state. Um, but then when you go down to the south, you've got the coast of uh, Gulf of Mexico. <laughs> so you've got ocean coastal golf, a little bit different flavor than um, Great Lakes golf, because we still have more of the rocky shores and the tree lines and whatnot. Coastal Alabama feels a little bit more southern. Um, the vegetation is more reminiscent of, of Florida and Georgia and Alabama. But just as a whole, I think there's just so many choices down there with the longer season, but yet it's not blazingly hot um, like it would be in Florida in the summertime. Yeah, absolutely. Have you been to many of the courses along the Robert Trent Jones Trail? Uh, I've played probably six or seven of them now, and don't ask me the names of which one because they all just start bleeding together. But um, yeah, they uh, I, I've seen them from the coast of Alabama up to the Birmingham area and even the northwest corner near Mississippi. And uh, all are different, even though they're uh, from the same design shop. Uh, but uh, just a lot of fun, very playable. They're meant to be more resort courses and not necessarily championship courses yet they have played lpga and pga tour events on some of them yeah absolutely well in fact uh we had the national championship at the fighting joe course on the robert trent jones course uh this last spring and what blew me away about it is we first saw the yardage the tournament is going to be played at which was 7500 um which is obviously very long yes and then we got there and the other thing i'm, I'm doing the research and we're looking online and there's water on almost every hole. And so we're going into this like, oh, man, 7,500 yards, water on almost every hole. But then you get there, and the fairways were very generous. Um, they were very, very wide fairways. It was just it made you hit driver on every hole. And if you missed it, you could be in water. Um, but I did think it was a very, very fair golf course relative to what we thought it was going to be going into it. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. Uh, even though some of the courses are tree-lined, actually a lot of them are from what I understand on the trail, they do definitely make them very wide as well. So um, another course in Alabama, though, if somebody is down there that's not on the trail, uh, is called Farm Links, and it's near Tuscaloosa. And the family that owns it was in the fertilizer business, and they were always trying to bring in uh, golf course superintendents to show their product. And along somewhere along the line, along the timeline, maybe 20 years ago, they thought, what better way to show our product at work than to build a golf course and use our products on our own golf course. And they ended up turning it into a basically a agronomy testing area where they've got like 50 or 60 different kinds of grass all on this one course. And you can kind of even see some of the changes as you go from hole to hole. Uh, where they're actually testing on a walking, usable golf course of how different grasses hold up, which ones have more rollout, which ones make better rough, which one make, makes better greens. And uh, it's just a really fascinating course to play. 
That's pretty interesting. Um, so, Tom, I want to jump into I, I do this with every uh, guest that I have on the show. It's just a, I call it quick fire. I'm just going to spit some questions at you, and I want the, the first answer that comes to your mind. And a short one at that, I assume? Uh, if you want to explain a little bit, you're more than welcome to. I, more of it's just <laughs> as far as the answer goes, I want it to be fairly just first one that comes to your mind. I'll try uh, my best. All right. So what's your favorite course in Michigan? Oh, um, so far, Arcadia Bluffs. Okay. And then favorite course anywhere, anywhere in the world that you've been to? Augusta National. Okay. <laughs> that was, let's see. If you've been there, I'm sure that's a pretty easy one. I had the pleasure of covering three masters for the free press and I got in the media lottery the first year in 09 and got to play. Okay. So I'm going to add a question to this that I didn't originally have. What's your favorite hole at Augusta national? 10, 10. What's the reason for that? The reason is because it used to be the first hole when it was first opened many decades ago, it is almost straight downhill, but you don't even really Uh, notice that on tv tv does not do it justice it's an incredible downhill hole that that big huge trap that's currently about 60 yards out in the middle of the fairway in front of the green used to be the green so that's how much further back they pushed the green and and then raised it uh well they put it on the top of a hill so you go down this long hill over a trap and back uphill to the green um, obviously people have memories of Bubba hooking it out of the trees and that kind of thing, but, um, I wouldn't necessarily say it's their best hole, but it's the hole that surprised me the most. Oh, okay. That's, that's a very unique answer. I like that. Sure. Um, how about, do you have a favorite PGA tour player, like someone you really root for? Well, Jack always, um, if you mean current day though, I really like Jordan Spieth. I think he's a classy kid. Uh, who hasn't really let his fame get to his head yet. That might change, but so far, so good. Okay, I like that answer. And then last one here, what's your favorite story you've ever covered? Something that, it can be a feel-good story, just something that was very interesting. Do you have a favorite story you've ever covered? In golf or any sport? Any sport. That would have to be a sentimental one, and it was a story I did probably in about my third or fourth year at the Free Press. Um, my mother grew up in Coldwater, Michigan, and in 1949, her Coldwater Cardinals won the state championship, and my grandfather was the town barber, and he always gave the head coach a, a good luck haircut before every game, to the point where he had to chase him down and sneak into the locker room at Jensen Fieldhouse just to not break the streak, and uh, I wrote that from a family memory perspective, and uh, that's still always been my favorite. That is cool. You know, and a lot of the best stories come from more of the small town high school. You know, it's not always the big city professional stuff. Uh, that, that is a really cool story. But, but in golf, I think it would be covering uh, Randy Lewis at the Masters in 2012. Uh, small town Alma guy. Uh, he won the U.S. Mid-Amateur, the oldest player to ever win the U.S. Mid-Amateur the year before uh, 2012. So that gave him the invite into the Masters and just some of my favorite lines I ever wrote and story content was about that piece. Well, and I haven't had, I, I've met Randy Lewis, uh, I think just one time. And there's very few people where when you meet them, 
you feel how genuine they are right out of the gate. And he just appeared to me like a genuinely really, really nice guy and seems like he has a big heart. So I'm sure that helped as well. Great family to go with it. Yeah, absolutely. So, all right, let's get into the, the, the meat of this here and the, the exciting topic that, um, you know, Golf Digest just picked up from you um, and published an article on it. And we'll talk about just kind of Michigan high school golf here and the state of it because the state of it's not very good right now from a, uh, let's call it an integrity standpoint. Now, if, you know, if you've been living under a rock and haven't heard, uh, if you're in the golf world at all, just, there was a big issue this last spring uh, where a couple teams from the Division One uh, Michigan High School Golf uh, were accused of cheating because they shot extraordinarily irregular scores in regionals, um, not just taking a couple shots off their average, uh, more like all four or five players having the absolute rounds of their lives by 10 shots or more all in the same day, um, something that is mathematically just about impossible. Um, if you've played a lot of golf in your life, especially been around team golf, you know the odds of this happening are uh, it's like winning the Powerball probably multiple times. Agreed. <laughs> and so then these teams go to the state finals and they shoot uh, vastly higher scores. Uh, to So, you know, to get into more detail, it was uh, we had the Anchor Bay team and the De La Cruz team. Anchor Bay shoots 284 at regionals, four under par, which would be a great score for a collegiate team, let alone a high school team. Um, and then a high school to, team that had never broken 300 before. Correct. Uh, well, and I think their average was somewhere around 340, wasn't it? Um, more in the 325 range. Okay. Okay. So 325 range. Uh, and then they shoot 284. And then they go to the state finals and shoot 385, 353. 140 and then, some strokes behind the winner. Correct. And then the De La Cruz team, which shot a miracle 296 at regionals shot 401-376 at the state finals. Correct. But it's, so, it's, uh, it's Lons Cruz is the correct name of the high school. Oh, sorry. Lons Cruz. <laughs> Lons Cruz. So 401-376 at the state finals. Um, and obviously this jumps off the page. And then the thing that really sealed the deal was they played together at regionals. Correct. And the third team they were paired with because they play in threesomes was Frazier. Frazier did not qualify for states, but they still shot over 50 strokes lower at regionals than their season average. And all three of those groups played together and attested each other's scores. And that's what people are upset about is, like you said, it's almost mathematically impossible. I'll give any kid a game of his life day. I'll give any one team a game of their life day. But to have 15 kids on three teams all have the game of their life that just doesn't happen. Well, and I think the big thing that we're talking about is we talked about 50 shots below their average, right? Yes. As, as a team. So over 10 shots a player. And just to put this in perspective, you know, as a person who played high school golf, played college golf, and now coaches college golf, if you beat your average by 10 shots, like it's unbelievable. That, that is a great day. So to put it in perspective, last year, um, our team averaged 290, and the lowest we shot all year was 276. So, and, and it was a hot day. I mean, we had, um, we had one player in particular play extraordinarily well, and then everybody else played well on the same day, and we beat our average by 14 shots, and that was like, okay, 
this is this is really good. And by the way, the weather was perfect, and it wasn't as difficult of a course as we normally play. Like a lot factored into us being able to shoot 14 shots less. Um, and I don't think I ever saw throughout my time in high school golf and now following high school golf is, you know, in terms of recruiting, I don't think I've ever seen a team do anything close to this. I mean, I don't think I've ever, and granted, then we factor in, obviously it's three teams all playing together and they all do it on the same day. Um, and just what I can say from personal experience is when we talk about where these teams play the state finals, they played it at Grand Valley's home course. So our home course, the Meadows. And I had been hearing the buzz about um, these teams and how they supposedly weren't really capable of shooting these scores. So I decided to go out uh, and watch Anchor Bay for about two, three holes. I watched a couple different players and it became evident to me, you know, and I would like to think that I can judge a player pretty quickly, pretty fast, at least in the realm of is, are they capable of shooting a score like this? Right. Um, it became very evident, very fast. There's no chance this happened legally. Right. Um, you know, and no disrespect to these players, uh, they just none of them had the skill set to shoot 68, plain and simple, or 72, or even 75. And one of the guys who shot 68 had not played high school golf before he came off the wrestling team to join in the spring. <laughs> so, so there you go. So, um, doesn't mean he didn't play junior golf or any other family and friends prior, but um, I never found him on any AJGA list either. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the last thing I'll, I'll say about this before um, I really open this up and we'll dive deeper into it, that, that was upsetting, is we still have yet, at least to my knowledge, um, any of the players or coaches to admit to it. Correct, that I'm aware uh, of also. And not only that, I mean, there was some stuff that was posted on social media from some of the players, um, almost just retaliate because obviously they got a lot of negative feedback and, you know, um, people on Twitter attacking them a little bit. And they kind of, some of the players posted back with some stuff like, almost like screw you, like, hey, we're in the state finals. You know, don't worry about us. Like, we're in the state finals, so we're just doing what we do. And it's like, yeah, but everybody knows you didn't get there in a respectable way. Um, That's the general belief. You're right. <laughs> so, Tom, tell me about the story you wrote and obviously got picked up on and golf digest recently posted an article. I'm talking about the changes that are going to be made. And tell me a little bit about what you've covered regarding this story and your feelings on it. And what do you think about the changes that are coming? And what, what do you think actually has to change for, to fix this? Well, there's going to be a lot of things. Um, there is going to be some new scoring changes. Uh, there's going to be some new education for coaches, but I think, one of the best things that's going to change all this is the fact that we're talking about it. Um, what really happened at regionals and what kind of allowed the teams to still go to States without a lot of objection at the regional itself was everyone was just shocked. They, they didn't know what to do when they saw the scores posted. And once the scores got posted, that, that's pretty much it. They're done unless somebody comes back later and disqualifies themselves and really the arguments and or questioning amongst coaches at the regionals happened after the scores were posted. So trying to get rid of that shock factor, I guess, or, and, or uh, how you want to say, not be people be so surprised at what's going on. Uh, a new thing that the MHSA is going to try this spring, it'll be a pilot program. 
it will not be used at state tournaments, but it will be allowed uh, for high school invitationals on Saturdays, uh, team dual meets during the week, whenever they want to. There'll be a downloadable app called I Wanamaker. Uh, it's not made by the MHSA. It's an app that's already out there. And um, it allows students, while they're playing the game, to have their cell phone and download their scores on their cell phone. That will make them immediately public. So, you know, whether you're watching a, your own player or you're watching other players and at the turn, somebody shooting seven or eight strokes lower than their average and you're curious, like you went out to state finals and watched, people make, might start heading out to the 10th hole and say, I got to see why this kid's shooting out of their mind or why this entire team is leading by 20 strokes when they usually bring up the back of the pack. So um, that's part of the intent is make it public so people aren't surprised, so people can track it just like a GAM event is tracked every three holes uh, on their website. Uh, Michigan PGA section events, a lot of college events, every three holes they report their scores and those spotters put it on the website. Um, so making it public is part of the intention here. That's not going to change integrity, but I do think it'll make kids uh, think twice before they post it, knowing that it's going to be public. Um, but it'll allow other people to watch. Uh, an extension of the changes for scoring is the MHSA is going to create a new scorecard where typically uh, any tournament that people are in, you have your scorecard and you carry around one other competitor's scorecard and you just keep track of your own and that one competitor in your group. The new scorecard is, is going to allow every competitor in the group to track every other competitor. So uh, I don't know what the design is going to be like, if it's going to be tear off pieces or whatever, but um, that will hopefully also add more integrity and or chance for checking each other when all three or four players walk off the back of the green, go to the next tee and say, okay, Johnny, what did you have? Jimmy, what did you have? And Daryl, what did you have? And they all talk about it out in the open, not just between two people. Uh, another extension of changes, and actually the majority of the conversation I was told at the golf committee for the MHSA in early December, uh, the majority of the talk centered around educating the coaches, um, giving them more guidelines on what their responsibilities are for scoring, uh, keeping track of your kids, watching your kids, watching other kids. Um, again, it's not, I don't think they're trying to be overbearing and assume people are cheating they just want to get more people involved and uh, more people in tune to what's going on yeah absolutely so how do you do you feel like this issue that we encountered um, we have three teams you know allegedly get together and all cheat um, in, in agreement to cheat and lower their scores do these changes solve that issue because the one thing i will say other than if somebody says nine holes in, like, hey, this is kind of odd. Let's go out and watch these teams. Um, do you think it solves that issue, or do you think there's something further that needs to be done? Really, overall, on uh, this situation, I blame adults. Uh, I blame the coaches of those three schools for not investigating their own kids further and challenging them. Uh, I blame the parents who were following along and have kept their mouths shut and let their kids 
get away with something because they think it's going to actually advance their career when actually it's now ruined their careers. Um, it, it's just the adults in this situation have failed these kids. And so I think that's part of why the majority of the conversation at the golf committee uh, meeting in early December was to put more pressure on the coaches, maybe make the coaches more educated. I mean, I'll ask you as a coach, uh, Gary, I've talked to several other media on this topic, obviously, as it's evolved the past uh, eight or nine months. And the vast majority of people say, well, if I was coaching that team, and this comes out of the mouth of other coaches, I know what my kids score. And when my kids turn in a score that looks fishy to me, you can be darn sure I'm going to pull them over underneath the nearest oak tree and grill them on how did you score this before I ever turn in that scorecard to the tournament manager. What do you consider your role as a coach in, in that kind of a situation? Well, I think absolutely. And that's, I will say from a coach's perspective, that's one of the things I was so disappointed in because the stories I was hearing, granted, these are all stories. Um, I wasn't there. I can't validate any of them, but I was told when it was brought up, uh, one of the coaches in particular got uh, pretty nasty about it. Very. Yeah. And was pretty upset. And, um, so there's two schools of thought here. A, as a coach, I do think you have to have your players' backs and, and defend them to a point um, because, you know, there is a relationship there. But, however, the equivalent of what happened, if we do it based on scoring average, this would be equivalent to – and the other thing I was told before I say this is that the coaches were never on the course throughout the entire day. I was told they, they had limited time on the course, but they, they were out there on occasion. Exactly. So they don't really know what's going on. And so let's say I had a day like this where I was in and out of the clubhouse and didn't really have much reference on what my players were scoring. And the equivalent of this, of what it would be like for our team doing, is essentially every player on my team coming in shooting 61 or below. Wow. And <laughs> This would you got a great team, Gary. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. But I mean, if we're doing the if we're doing the 40 shots under the average, right? Um, that, that's about what it would be. So maybe a little less, maybe 63 and below, but um, somewhere in the neighborhood, everybody's shooting 63, 64 and below. So for me, this would obviously be a huge red flag. And yeah, there would be some major questions here. And um, you do know as a coach kind of what you're team is capable of shooting and this is obviously a, a major issue um from from these coaches perspectives where they just sat aside and, and said okay yeah this could happen when you know it can't they um, became cheerleaders instead of coaches yeah absolutely and so you know in my career so far i've dealt with one um internal cheating issue which you know you hate to see and ours wasn't uh nearly to this extent we just had a it was more of a ruling issue, um, but there was intent to cheat behind the ruling from now I wasn't there, um, but I had witnesses and they left it up to me to make the decision of, hey, like we've got witnesses, but he says he didn't do it. What do you think? Um, and they left it up to me to call the penalty. And I actually I, I called the penalty um, and this penalty ended up being a, a DQ against our player and, and it did cost our team that tournament we went from what we would have we would have finished first and it made us finish third actually okay. um, by dqing this player but i just felt like i had enough witnesses who 
they weren't all from the same team or all the same, you know, everyone wasn't affiliated with the same thing. Um, and I felt strongly like this, this accusation did happen. Um, so if, if I'm willing to call that, I would think absolutely. If all my players came in with these extraordinarily fishy scores, yeah, I would have to stand up and say, okay, this is an issue. Um, and you would question your players. And like you said, certainly you can't become a cheerleader. You know, I, I say um, the one thing I said about you have to have your players' backs. The only reason I say that, um, and it's not necessarily in a circumstance like this, but there's a level of trust and there's a relationship there. um, And you do want to show your players that you support them and you believe in their character. But this is past that point. Once again, we're talking about the odds of this happening, like winning the Powerball. Or bigger. Or bigger, right? And so – Correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe the USGA, because they have a system where they can show the odds of based on what your average is versus what you can shoot. And I think they came out and said this this happening is like someone winning the Powerball three times or something like that. I didn't see that one, but I do know somebody did ask the USGA to do something. Yeah, and I, I know the odds came out to <laughs> basically there's no chance this could ever happen. Um, and then when I heard the story of the way one of the coaches in particular reacted, um, you know, it, it's fairly embarrassing all around. And uh, I think the part that I'm hurt the most by, because I remember back to high school golf, you can say whatever you want from the outside, but when you're playing it and you put a lot of sweat into it, it's a big deal to you. Um, you know, I know winning the state championship my senior year is still one of my most prized memories in my lifetime. And the fact that these players and coaches took away an opportunity for someone deserving to go to the state title to me is really the sad part at the end of the day there was someone far more deserving that should have been there um and the selfishness of these players and coaches took that away oh absolutely those teams that should have been there were rochester adams and bloomfield um no question about it they they were very gracious and not arguing it too much they they did one of the parents on one of those schools did contact me to let me know what was going on originally i was actually down playing golf in alabama when this all took place <laughs> um but uh yeah they were very gracious about it comparatively even though they were incredibly disappointed but i think most people agree with your assessment that that's the worst part of all of this yeah and it's unfortunate um we couldn't find a solution this this is the game of golf right and that's what is so unique about it is we do call ourselves on our own penalties and we um, keep ours and just say only the people in our group score. Um, the part that for me, and it still racks my brain. And I think you're spot on where you said the biggest issue here is the adults failed um, the kids and it's, yes, we have the coaches. Okay. And that's a big deal that the coaches never questioned them and they became cheerleaders instead of coaches. But I've been to a lot of high school tournaments and I've never seen five groups where there's no spectators because especially exactly there had to have been people watching correct so there's parents for sure like there's no way out of all five of these groups there was no parents there so we have parents watching this and a lot of times i mean i would say at least half the parents out there usually have a scorecard of their own yes and they're keeping track and somehow all the parents were okay with this that's what's mind-boggling. In fact, to me, I'm. what surprises me the most is why aren't the people in these three towns going crazy? 
And why aren't the alumni of those schools, especially the kids who actually shot the school records, why aren't they raising heck over this? Um, and maybe they are. They're over in Macomb County, and I'm not. Uh, I don't keep track of their local news, but I'm just shocked the other people in the communities haven't made a, an example of this and asked for the coaches' firings and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, and to me, that's the, the first thing that needs to happen. I think if you're the athletic director of these schools, if you haven't fired these coaches by now, um, you're embarrassing yourself and particularly the school and the community um, because you're saying this is okay. Well, and I don't think this story is over because I've had a Macomb County team hint to me that they're going to withdraw from every, any and every tournament that these other three schools might be invited to. Which is fair at this point, especially if we have any of the players or the coach from that previous team. Um, it's something no. I wouldn't want to be involved in either. Well, I'm saying that there's a, a school that I think is going to, by, by protesting, they're going to not play because they don't want to play with those other schools involved. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. I, I hear you. And I, I think that's, I totally get it because I wouldn't want to be involved um, if any of those previous players or coaches are, are involved at all still with those programs. Um, it's just, it, it's truly, at least in my lifetime, this is probably the most embarrassed. I do feel a strong tie, you know, as a, as a Michigan person and, um, I've spent most of my life here and I have strong ties to the state and I take pride in the MHSAA and, um, it's, it's just not great that this happened. And the fact that it's garnered national attention, um, and once again, going back to just the core values of these coaches, parents, and kids, the fact that. No one has said, you know what, I can't handle it anymore. This is getting national attention. Um, everybody knows we did this. You know what, we did it. And at least start to turn over a new leaf and try to have um, some sympathy for these people. But, you know, when they just continue to stand by and, you know, say, I, obviously their philosophy is, hey, as long as none of us ever admit to it, they can never prove it. Like, but Well, I told you my uh, previous past includes uh... – uh, public relations and if i were the pr departments of these three school districts i would require <laughs> uh forfeiture of regionals so their names individual and team names can be off the mhsa website because as long as they stand by these scores for the rest of history anyone can go on the website and look up these kids by name and and all that and i would dq it so the mhsa takes my names off their website personally yeah, and you said um, a great comment earlier where their thinking may have been this is going to advance their careers and all it's going to do is ruin it. And you're absolutely right. Um, I mean, there's no way any college coach or any anything of that nature would take a look at any of these kids. Um, Not at all. Because like I said, it, it took me two, three holes of watching it to go, nope, not possible. <laughs> and I, I, liked, I like to be a positive person and believe – you know, a lot of people are capable of a lot lower scores than they normally shoot because I have seen it. I have seen people, um, you know, break their average by eight, nine shots in one round. It does happen. Fluky stuff like that happens in the game of golf. Sure. But it doesn't happen to 15 people all playing together all on the same day. And to that point, I want to be really strong in saying that I've had uh, several people mention to me, oh, these kids must have all gotten together and collaborated and, and purposely, um, you know, planned on cheating, et cetera, et cetera. I'm more of the belief that there were two or three ringleaders. 
and all the other kids, the other 12 or 13, just kind of went along with it because of peer pressure. Uh, another result of the stories I've done, and I've got quotes and one I did in June from Brian Cairns of the Plymouth area, uh, teaches a lot of juniors, but he's also an accomplished player. He played in the uh, U.S. Senior Open and the Senior PGA this past year. But um, he said the peer pressure is immense on these juniors when they travel around the country. This is not just a high school issue. And, you know, if you are the kind of kid that's going to call another kid out on, hey, you really had six strokes there, not four, not five. Uh, they're started to be viewed as a Mr. Goody two shoes. And, you know, you know uh, they just got, get ostracized. And I just have this funny feeling that two or three kids were the ringleaders and the others just kind of went along out of peer pressure. Yeah, and I, I would say that's true. I, I would say more particularly at the high school level. Um, you know, I can tell you this would be just based on the personality difference here because in the high school level, you can get a lot of people where golf's not their main sport. Um, and it's more they're just doing it because it's something to do. It's a spring sport. Maybe they didn't have a spring sport. Um, but at the collegiate level, this is like this is how they're paying for their school um, is these scholarships and you know, it's more of a full-time job to them. And guys are too competitive to ever let this happen. You know, at the high school level, I could see saying, hey, uh, a little bit of pressure from calling that kid, you know, becoming a goody two-shoes or whatever it is, um, from saying, hey, I think you had a five when, or you think you had a six and really you had a five. At the collegiate level, I can tell you, it's almost the opposite. I mean, we see people looking to call penalties on others just because the competitiveness is so high. Makes sense. You know, and we tell our players all the time, especially when we go into really big events, like, hey, you've got to be perfect. You know, every drop you take, anything you do, you need to consult with your group. Make sure, even if you know you're doing the right thing, make sure they know you're doing the right thing and they agree with it. Because, you know, I've seen the opposite where, uh, you know, and it's I think it's unfortunate either way, but I've seen, like, people out to get other people, Um where it's, hey, I'm trying to call any penalty that I can on this person. or um, So we see a little bit of the opposite effect at the college level. Interesting. Uh, but, you know, that's not – I'm not generalizing that. Um, it's not all players by any means. But, you know, you see some of that. Uh, but I would say you're more likely to see that at the college level than the other way around. Yeah, and the other thing I want to stress about the high school level is there are some kids who write down the wrong score because they simply don't know the rules. Yeah. And um, it's not that there's no intent to cheat. They just accidentally cheated by not understanding the rules. So a lot of that does happen. Um, What's interesting about this story, and again, I say one of the best things I think about moving forward in the future of less and less inaccurate score uh, taking place is that we're talking about this. When I um, broke these stories back in June and did a follow up in August and uh, another one just uh, on Christmas Day uh, is when it published. Um, ever since and during that entire time, people have been coming out of the woodwork to say, Tom, I was in tournament such and such three years ago, and this is where a kid cheated, and I saw it happen, blah, blah, blah. Um, and this is from juniors to high school to college play. It's just amazing how silent everyone has been for years. I mean, I was even shocked and taken aback by this story that happened in late May, early June, because I had never heard from other people that, hey, cheating happens quite a bit in golf. 
And so I think this was just kind of the tipping point, kind of the last straw for people of enough is enough. And we got to get our hands wrapped around this. So that brings up a great point. And I, I do believe now cheating to this scale, I don't believe has ever happened that we've seen in the history of Michigan um, for, for this many people to be involved and it happened on this scale. However, I can say from being at a lot of high school events for recruiting, I rarely go to a high school event. And if I'm out there for three hours, I will see minimum, minimum one. I would say the average is more like three to four rules violations. But like you said, it's not intentional. Right. It's the lack of knowing the rules. And because I, I'm not watching kids fluff their lie when the other two are turned away. That's not what I'm seeing on a regular basis. What I'm seeing is incorrect drops. That's probably the main one. Sure. Um, you know, incorrect drops. It's happening almost every single golf tournament, probably multiple times at the high school level, just because, hey, golf's complicated. There's a lot of rules, and we don't always know how to take uh, drops. I, I can give you one clear example, and this was one of the more extreme ones that I saw. I actually saw it at the state finals. Um, I don't remember what year it was. It was within the last couple of years. We've got a lot of heather tall grass at the Meadows. And I watched a competitor hit his ball into the tall grass. He decided he could not advance it, so he chose to take an unplayable, which I thought was really interesting because from where he was, the only way he could take an unplayable would be to do stroke and distance in terms of getting himself in a better situation. Because straight back in line with the flag or a club length in any direction was still going to keep him in that really tall, nasty grass. So he's talking to his playing partners about where he should drop. And they agree. He took it like a lateral hazard. Like he just went a little bit back of where the pin was and dropped it outside the hazard, basically 20 yards to the left of where he was, but he wasn't getting, he wasn't going back in line with the flag. If that makes sense. It's hard to describe it when you don't have a visual on you, but he basically used a lateral drop as an unplayable. And I can't say anything because I'm a spectator at that point. But it's clear to me that all three and none of the parents, and there was no coach there, had any idea that this was illegal. They all thought this was kind of one of the options as an unplayable. It's Uh, probably the way they learned from their parents in the rec league. Exactly. Um, And so, (laughs) you know, stuff like that. And that's just one example, one of the more extreme ones I've seen. Um, but, But you see it pretty regularly. And that one is... I don't place blame necessarily on anyone there. Um, If I were to, one thing I would say that I would like to see happen is high school golf coaches a lot of times aren't even golfers. Um, And that's no knock against them. I appreciate um, these people stepping up and to, so that their high school can have a high school golf team and um, absolutely. Yeah. They can, they can mentor um, some, some young men, but, at the end of the day, I do think they need to take responsibility of, hey, okay, I may not be a golfer myself or play a lot of golf myself or I may be a casual golfer, but I need to really – at least one thing I need to make sure I do is learn these rules inside out and teach it to my kids and make sure that all of our players understand the rules inside now just so that we can start to prevent some of this from happening because um, it is unfortunate. And like I said, I don't place blame on anyone and um, – it's not so, you know, no one's has ill intent here. Um, but it's just, if we were not aware of the rules, we're very likely to break them. 
Absolutely. I agree. And in fact, on that note, um, in my December issue of Michigan Golf Journal, I go through the majority of the new rules changes for 2019, including with links uh, where you can click uh, to a video at the USGA. Um, uh, my updated story on these high school rules that we've been discussing are going to be coming out uh, next week in my January issue. So um, that and just lots of great human interest stories. Uh, my lead story for January is a Michigan PGA section pro golfer uh, runs a golf course down in Southeast Michigan uh, near the Ohio border and he's legally blind and he has been for 11 years. Uh, all while being a, a Michigan PGA uh, member and uh, just some really fascinating stuff going on. And I would encourage anyone to go to michigangolfjournal.com and read about it or check your email box because several golfing organizations around the state send it out for me once a month to their email list. That's great. Yeah. And I'm looking forward. I actually, uh, after this, this podcast has been a lot of fun for me and uh, I'm going to become an avid reader myself. Uh, this is this is great, and I look forward to some of that uh, last story you just mentioned. Sounds extraordinarily interesting. So um, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of good ones coming out, and I've seen some of your work, Tom, and it's all been very, very impressive. And like I said, your resume uh, speaks volumes, and thank you very much for joining me today. Um, and I hope we can continue our relationship, and I look forward to speaking with you more in the future. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. I appreciate it. All right, Tom, take care, and I will talk to you soon. Bye-bye.